official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. I'm Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, and this show is presented by Symbol, the stock market for sports. More about our partners coming up in just a few minutes. This show is going to be a relatively quick one on our beloved, um, despised Miami Marlins because we're a little bit behind schedule. Wednesday night's game running three hours and 53 minutes, the longest nine-inning game for the Marlins this year. They had a couple extra-inning ones that went even past that. So you get a conventional recap of that game on the small pod with Daniel Rodriguez on the same podcast feed. Subscribe to Fist Stripes wherever you get your pods. Uh, I'll have a couple little notes on that game, but this is going to focus on a few bigger topics here. Uh, First, a primer on... Starling Marte and the hashtag Pay Marte movement uh, leading up to a highly anticipated Swings and Mishes episode about Starling Marte and his contract extension possibility with the team. We're also going to go into John Birdie, who um, for a variety of reasons has been mentioned lately. He's, I mean, he's been forced into a very prominent role on this team due to injuries and overall, you know, not having the season we expected Um, But some reasons for optimism going forward with him and a time to really appreciate what he's done. And then a little note about the Marlins rotation, the back end of this rotation, which just continues to have no answers whatsoever as to how to fill things out beyond Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez and Trevor Rogers. And then from there, it's a total mess. And that continues to be the case. And then finally on Garrett Cooper, who is out with an injury again. You know, for the first time this year, an extensive injury, but that's something we're used to with him as a Marlin. And uh, once again, the decision to overlook Jesus Sanchez as a potential replacement for him on the roster. With Starling Marte, I'd say it was probably right when he got back from his injury, missing about 35 games with a rib fracture, where I kind of got on board with this idea that the Marlins should make it a high priority to keep him in the fold beyond this year. For people that aren't aware, he is a pending free agent for the first time ever. And that means even more if you're someone like him who is from the Dominican Republic, uh, signing through international free agency as a prospect. He's been a professional player since January of 2007, 14 and a half years in pro baseball. And this is going to be his first time to really determine his future. (laughs) Um, He is having an exceptional year. He was before his injury. And really, ever since he got back, he's been the exact same extraordinary guy. So overall this year, a 172 weighted runs created plus 100 is league average. He is 72% above league average as a hitter, in addition to being a plus base runner, in addition to being an above average defensive center fielder. He's been a phenomenal And unfortunately, it's just not been enough for this team to make much of an impact as the team enters play on Thursday at 26 and 35, nine games below the 500 mark, despite his best efforts. He's he's in the news for obvious reasons. I mean, for one, because now that the team kind of looks very likely like a potential seller, he's someone that um, in the final year of his deal is going to be garnering so much interest from everybody across the league, any potential contenders. I mentioned this on an appearance on the Fish Across the Pond podcast. That was a lot of fun about Marte, is that 
you can't point to any team in the major leagues that has three outfielders that are all better than Starling. I mean, even if you expect some regression from him, which I think is obvious, I don't think he's going to play at quite this level for another 100 games. Even if he comes back down to earth to his career norms, uh, he is still a great player that makes any team better and therefore any team that is in the mix of here in 2021. And you could still say that most of the teams do still have some aspirations of being like that, that he's going to appeal to those teams heading into the trade deadline. Uh, But on Wednesday, Craig Mish uh, on the field at Lone Depot Park spoke with Starling Marte. He's going to get into more details on this on his own podcast on Friday about exactly what is on Starling's mind in terms of his future because Kim Ang spoke to the media the day before. She said there's not been any movement uh, on a contract extension front with him, and that was expected because this is going to be, as I mentioned, the first time he gets to test himself on the market as a professional player. And uh, I mean, by all expectations, uh, that's his right. And no matter what team he was playing for, that was the most likely outcome for him is that to go on the market, get his one really big payday after taking a team-friendly contract extension earlier in his career. Like, I don't blame him one bit. I think it would have, um, the news from Mish on Wednesday is surprising that he is uh, devoted to the Marlins and that he is interested in discussing an extension now during the season, not waiting until being a free agent, not waiting until potentially being traded, that he is interested in making his future in Miami beyond this year. That's, it's very exciting. Um, I'm a little bit dubious of the news. So here's why, uh, the main part being that Starling is having an exceptional year, and if he's bringing up the idea of a contract extension right now, I don't know if his is like asking price is realistic. If he's expected to be paid the way that he's performing right now, I think he'll be disappointed. Because as a reminder, he is 32 years old. He turns 33 right after the year. Anything that you are paying Marte on a new contract goes into effect beginning in his age 33 season. And that is a number you do not often hear with center fielders. That was my expectation coming into the year. I admit he's been pretty impressive in center field uh, so far this year. But you just look at the history. I think the Marlins, any other team would look at the history. It is very rare to be an everyday center fielder at age 33 and beyond. As good as he looks right now, you need to play the percentages that this guy will in the near future over at some point over the course of his next contract, whether it's a three-year contract, but potentially a four-year contract. I don't know if he'll go any past that just because... Those guys do not stick in center field at that age. The few guys that are forced into center field in their mid-30s are there in emergencies. They don't really perform well. That's just how father time is. That's the skill set of the position that is difficult to maintain, uh, even for someone like Starling Marte that has incredible physique, and he's obviously very fortunate in that regard that he's been able to maintain that this far into his career. Uh, doesn't really last forever, and even historically, the guys that do look like that throughout their careers, there is still some slippage in their athleticism and skills. So when you're talking about a new deal for Marte, you need to bake into the equation that more likely he'll be playing in the corners, more in left field, than in center field moving forward. Uh, The other element to this is that there is really no competition whatsoever for him on the upcoming free agent class in terms of rivals, other potential center fielders 
And even in the corner outfielders, that whole group, um, he's the best. Uh, as long, even with that regression, let's say he goes back to being the guy he was for most of his career, a 116 weighted runs created plus coming into the year, you know, a solidly above average hitter, um, that someone like that with his consistent track record and with the accolades he's gotten, his reputation in the clubhouse, he'll still get a very healthy deal. It's just, um, the context is very fascinating. The fact that I mean, some of the biggest rivals they'll have on the free agent market are Kevin Pillar, uh, maybe Jackie Bradley Jr. if he really turns it around. But but Bradley is having a terrible offensive year, and he might not be likely to opt out of his player option in his contract with the Brewers. There are not a whole lot of guys out there uh, on this market that will be competing with him. Um, so that, again, makes it curious to me why he would be bringing this topic up now rather than wanting to test himself against that a very uh, unformidable class of fellow center fielders. So these are just some of the thoughts going on in my mind. Um, the fact that we still have not seen Jesus Sanchez uh, in this next tour of duty, I'll get into that at the end of the show, um, that we know uh, it will take till the, pretty deep into the year until potentially seeing J.J. Bladey. Um and we know about all these other youngish outfielders who have already had their opportunities and have fallen on their faces, the Marlins do have openings in their outfields, regardless of maybe if they think that one could emerge as their center fielder in the near future. All three outfield spots are totally up in the air right now. It makes it understandable why they'd want to bring him back. We'll have plenty of discourse about this. Once Mish comes out with his podcast, we might do a roundtable here on Fish Stripes next week with several others uh, about the pros and the cons of Marte, about the reasonable price that we'd be willing to go to keep him around with the team. Uh, we'll get into that later, but these are just some of the thoughts circulating in my head, and I'd say just the bottom line, uh, this will be a lot of fun, this discourse coming up. I don't think there's a new contract from him coming until after the year. Um, I just do not see a scenario where they sign him now where he gets the price that he's looking for right now. I think this is something that should wait for the offseason. And even if it does, the Marlins shouldn't lose the Marlins don't lose hope because of that. They have so much payroll flexibility heading into this offseason. There is no excuse for not bringing back a player who wants to be here and one that they already know so intimately from having him in their clubhouse, in their training room, and their around their prospects and spring training. There's no excuse to not bring him back. So there shouldn't be a panic if he does reach free agency. And um There'll be so much to talk about between now and then, and I'm looking forward uh, to Mish, Jeremy Tache, looking forward to listening to exactly what Marte has going on in his mind. This show presented by Symbol. Three months now we've had this partnership with Symbol here on the Fish Tribes podcast. They're the stock market for sports, allowing you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when those teams win. MLB, NFL, NBA. You buy low, you sell high profit. Uh, they have, it's, it, it could be a little intimidating the first time you log in there. Just check out their analysis on their site that really gets you to understand how these individual teams uh, function, these stocks function and what affects them and where, where you should be putting your money uh, to get you really up to speed and comfortable with this platform if you're not already on there. But there are more than 2,500 early adopters who are investing with Symbol. It's at www.simbull.app, symbol.app. You go there to create a free account. Make that first deposit and use the promo code FISHSTRIPES, all one word. You get a $10 deposit bonus on that first time. 
and the current Simmarlins share price is $30.14. Symbol.app, promo code FISHSTRIPES, $10 deposit bonus, and that will help build your portfolio. Invest in what you know, invest in sports. We pivot to a very different type of player, someone who is four and a half years away from free agency, John Birdie, um, a personal favorite of mine uh, entering this year, someone that I felt was a little bit underrated and overlooked for how really good all around he'd been in 2019 and 2020. It has not been the same case here in 2021. So as expected, he opened the year uh, in a utility role, uh, mainly as a utility infielder, given the way that this roster was constructed. They didn't really need him in the outfield and playing a lot of second base, a lot of third base. And as things have played out with Brian Anderson, unfortunately missing a lot of time due to injury, uh, with now Miguel Rojas missing injury and Jazz moving over to shortstop, John Birdie has played pretty much split his time between second base and third base. Overall hitting 190 with a 291 on base, a 292 slugging. That's a 73 weighted runs created plus 27% below league average. It was just recently that he reached um, a fake milestone. I always like to create fake milestones for guys. He played 162 games with the Marlins as of uh, earlier this week. And his overall numbers, uh, just to give you some perspective at that time, were pretty terrific. A two and a half win player above replacement level over what you know amounts to a full season's worth of reps. He had been playing so many different positions. You need to keep in mind, even though second base and third base this year, he's played almost as much shortstop in his career as he has in those positions. He's played plenty of center field, and he's even dabbled in left field and right field. Overall, significant time at six different positions while being roughly an average hitter, while being one of the league's better base runners. It, he's been such a good value pickup for on what was originally a minor league deal. Hasn't been this as good this year. And it's been a little frustrating uh, because I'd say the one thing you point to with Birdie is his age. He's a late bloomer, 31 years old. Maybe he's lost a step. I don't think that's the case. Watching him play and seeing you know, the numbers behind it in terms of his sprint speed, he's the same elite runner out there, which should help him get on base and help him do damage once he is on base. It's not totally well, it's not totally. It's not translating at all to this point so far. I mean, as I said, he's not getting on base at all. Um, and even when he is on base this year, four stolen bases. And it's a comparable amount of playing time as he had in 2020 with the Marlins, where he stole nine bases that year and only four to this point uh, this year. Uh, shockingly, despite his speed, he leads the team in grounding into double plays. He's already done that six times during this like small portion of of the season six times in his whole career prior to this year, he'd only grounded into three double plays. And it's, it's, I think it really comes down to very, a fairly simple issue is that he cannot get the ball in the air, or at least he hasn't been until very recently. I mean, overall his ground ball rate, 62%, which is the second highest in major league baseball among all guys with at least a hundred plate appearances. Hundreds and hundreds of players have reached that threshold, and he is second highest at hitting the ball on the ground. On the one hand, you know, he has a good opportunity to beat out infield singles. On the other hand, that does not give you any potential whatsoever to slug the ball and makes it less likely to find holes in the defense. I mean, despite his, I guess, his perception as being this slappy, 
small guy, he does hit the ball with decent authority. And for guys like that, you want to elevate the ball because those balls, those line drives can still do a lot of damage, even if you're not a big home run threat. So that's kind of why he's underachieving to this point. Um, some of it, I think, is simple bad luck. Uh, others is just the trajectory of his ball and his lack of launch angle. It's why he has a 240 batting average on balls in play. Uh, he's, he's always been in the mid-300s each year of his career, which was what you would expect for someone who does use a lot of the field and who, of course, runs exceptionally well. Uh, no, I don't think it's possible for that batting average on balls in play to be that low. That will improve. If he wants it to improve significantly, he needs to hit the ball in the air. Um, he was in the news a little bit this week because uh, the Mi- the Miami Herald revisited some what-ifs about the Marlins' season and their winter. They ultimately signed Adam Duvall uh, to fill their final outfield spot. Uh, it was a decently well-received move, but they prior to that, they had an opportunity to trade for Andrew Benintendi, formerly of the Red Sox. He ultimately went to the Royals. There was a three-team deal kind of on the table. Marlins, it sounds like, would have had to give up potentially one or two low-level prospects, um, and also would have had to give up a major league player. The Herald reported at the time uh, a veteran player who wasn't assured of a starting job. They left it kind of vague, um, few names came to mind, and now it was confirmed that John Birdie was that veteran player who would have been going to, I believe, San Diego as part of a three-team deal. The Marlins wouldn't do it, and there was uh, some negative, a lot of negative reaction to that, as if people aren't really following Benintendi's season. You know, he's been okay for the Royals, like a league average player who doesn't quite start every single day, but he plays against right-handers, and he does a little bit of everything, but has not quite returned to someone who used to be one of the top prospects in all of baseball. He's still not that big impact hitter that people expected, and I don't think there's any scenario where he would have really moved the needle for the Marlins. Adam Duvall actually got off to a much better start to the year through three weeks, through about a month, than Benintendi did. It's only been lately that they've kind of switched places in that regard. Uh, Birdie kind of outplayed Benintendi in 2019 and 2020, uh, despite the obvious differences in their pedigree. Uh, So I don't think that's something to really obsess over. It was an interesting note from the Herald, but that does not in any way change the trajectory of their season. And ultimately, uh, it comes down to the fact that the Marlins just were not willing to invest a whole lot of money in the team this year. If they had signed, they'd acquired Benintendi and his pretty six-ish million dollar salary for this year, it meant that they would have spent less money in other areas. Uh, so the team would still not have been in a complete team, is what I'm saying. Uh, and Birdie is someone who, given these constraints, is so important to them because he's earning barely more than the league minimum this year. When he does go to arbitration, he'll be even affordable through those years. He's the rare utility guys. We usually think of them being very expendable, but when Birdie is right and he's helping you win in so many different aspects of the game, um, it is really hard to find somebody that's exactly like him. He, uh, that's kind of what I wanted to get to is that there are very few players that are do everything that Birdie potentially can. Now, for the moment, he has not been doing those things because of his hitting. His hitting has been holding him back. But um, on Wednesday night, a couple line drives uh, to right field. Uh, One was a hit. One was a line out because it just stayed up a little bit too much. Um, That was encouraging for someone who I said is kind of grounding out more than he needs to at this point uh, through the season. 
The line drives are a good sign. Um, one of the line drives was among his hardest hit balls of the year. In fact, three of his five hardest hit balls of the season, according to StatCast, have come in the past week. So that's my birdie appreciation segment. Bottom line, I expect him to be pretty, pretty close to his career norms moving forward. I think you'll be surprised with how solid he is. Uh, I mean, Marlins desperately need him to be to avoid this season really going off the rails uh, just because... Miguel Rojas is at least a week away from returning in probably a week and a half. Uh, Brian Anderson further behind him. So there will be a lot of playing time for John Birdie for the foreseeable future. Let's hope he takes advantage of it. Uh, a note on the starting rotation, back into the rotation, we saw Braxton Garrett made, make his first start of the season, his third start of his career. Yeah, it was very meh. I guess that's a word I would use. He goes four innings, gives up two earned runs. His fastball velocity was the thing to watch because that was disappointing last year. I I mean, a bit concerning, to be honest with you, that he was only throwing 89 miles per hour um, on, a, on a fastball that he wasn't even locating that precisely. And it was the same issue this year, unfortunately, that, well, in this instance, where he maxed out at 91 with the fastball, it was mostly 89 and 90, and he just wasn't putting it exactly where he needed to. Um, there was actually one fastball that he did locate well, but it was still ripped for an RBI hit just because it didn't have that V-low to it. We don't like to obsess over velocity, but that's kind of, it, does, it is the most important element to being a pitcher is having high enough velocity and being able to differentiate the velocity of your pitches. If he's going to be maxing out at 91, it really does limit his ceiling. We saw a few of his signature curveballs, but he used even more his slider. So that a secondary um, breaking ball of his that is much newer that we didn't see a whole lot in the major leagues last year. Um, I do remember seeing it in his first relief appearance earlier this season at the major league level. It looked good. He did have a few really nasty sliders in this one, he, but... In terms of being someone that actually stabilizes their rotation moving forward, I, I didn't I didn't see it in this. We'll see where they go from here. He was the 13th different starting pitcher for the Marlins this year. That ties a single-season record already for most starters used last year. It's a funny juxtaposition to 2020, where we talk about, of course, COVID. That outbreak kind of wiped out their rotation, and the team ended up using 13 different starting pitchers. This year, now through 61 games, almost the same sample size as 2020, and even without the misfortune of the virus kind of disrupting things, they're in the same spot. They're in the same spot in terms of having to use the exact same amount of pitchers. They will almost certainly break that franchise record as the year goes on if we hopefully see Sixto Sanchez, if we see the debuts of Edward Cabrera, if we see any number of uh, journeyman placeholders get an opportunity, such as Josh A. Smith. I've been surprised that Josh A. Smith hasn't gotten the call already. A stat that I put out there uh, during Braxton's game, he goes four innings, and that doesn't seem like much, but the average this season among the back-end starters, everybody aside from Sandy, Pablo, and Trevor, the 10 other guys that have filled in uh, in the fourth spot, in the fifth spot during bullpen games, their average start has been 3.74 innings pitched. Braxton Garrett was probably what gave them more length than they're accustomed to getting from this patched together back end of the rotation. That's how low the bar is. Unsurprisingly, they have lost the majority of those games and they still don't have any answers now because these injuries are piling up. So many guys who are 
on the injured list and particularly on the 40-man roster. It just limited flexibility when you have, of course, starting at the beginning of the year, Sixto Sanchez and Edward Carrera. The Marlins optioned them to the minors, um, and now they're on the minor league injured list, which means they're stuck on the 40-man roster. You can't move them to the major league 60-day IL, and that's been limiting their flexibility. Since then, in the major leagues, we've had Jordan Holloway get hurt, Nick Nider get hurt, most recently, Daniel Castano get hurt. Eliezer Hernandez uh, get hurt, come back, get hurt <laughs> again. Cody Poteet. Uh, and for now, Eliezer is on the 60-day IL. They're going to have to make some other tricky decisions in terms of moving some of those other injured players um, to the 60-day just because you don't have any maneuverability. You don't have the room to add any new guys to the 40-man roster and make them eligible for a call-up unless you clear the way with some of these other currently unavailable pitchers who, for the most part, just have not been good when they've been getting these opportunities. Kind of by default, I think we see Braxton Garrett make another turn of the rotation. I think everybody's on the same page, that he was supposed to be getting more AAA reps before being put in this opportunity. He is up here by default because of that lack of maneuverability and the, the, these like piling up of injuries. Even if they're not impact names who are hurt, they are options Nonetheless, and as they pile up, you just are running out of places to look for. I don't need to harp on this. I mean, the team should have done more entering the offseason and especially during spring training to address this rotation depth, to prepare for the fact that there were going to be more injuries this year than in the typical year. They didn't do it. It's catching up to them. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is reiterating something that I did mention on Fish Across the Pond, that the reason why this recent losing stretch, 9 of 12, 9 of 10, they lost, and I guess now 10 out of 12, uh, the reason why it's so devastating is that this team just does not have the upside of negating that, of flipping the script and winning 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 12. There are too many holes in this team, uh, too many things that hold them back on a day-to-day basis. When it's not one thing, it's another, and it leads to this this frustrating year where they're losing so many of these close games. Four and 13 record this year in one-run games. Um, there's still a lot to look forward to with this team, but when you're putting all your, if you're putting all your eggs in the playoff contention basket, you're going to be disappointed. This has to be more about balancing the present and the future and appreciating what you can out of that. A final note on Garrett Cooper, who shortly before the game on Wednesday goes on the injured list. Um, He had earlier this year, he went on the COVID IL very briefly for just one day. He missed a couple days recently um, as well with a seemingly unrelated injury. This is being termed a lumbar strain, so a back injury for Garrett Cooper. It's a little bit different than anything that he's had in his Marlins career to date. Still don't have an exact timeline on how much we expect him to be out. This has been the story of his career, though, with these injuries popping up. Um, Hopefully not a severe one. What was questionable is the decision to recall Lewin Diaz in his place. I am high on Lewin. I, I like him a lot. But 
he just doesn't fit the roster at this time. I mean, he is a first base only guy who arguably his biggest asset is his first base defense, which he doesn't, he won't get to use very much because Jesus Aguilar is here and Jesus Aguilar is one of the big bright spots about this offense. So they called up Lewin to be the emergency first baseman with Cooper out. And I do not understand that. Um, it's, you don't, do this to a prospect with this kind of upside. You don't waste his time and you don't underutilize him like this when you have potentially other options on this roster who can fill that first base. We, we talked about Birdie playing every other infield and outfield position. Why not try him at first base? Because they even did play around with that during spring training. Um, something that Alex Carver of Fish on the Farm brought to my attention is that Adam Duvall played quite a bit of first base earlier on in his career, not even that long ago, just going back to his Cincinnati Reds days. It's poor management, really. I mean, it just hurts everybody involved to be utilizing a potential future everyday player like that when he should be playing every single day in the minors until a a better fit at the major league level becomes available. They call up Lewin over Jesus Sanchez. I don't get it, man. Um, I don't see any reason at this point why Jesus is still down there. It's not a service time issue. We already got into this on the previous podcast. The, it's not a service time issue anymore. He is he's ready. He's ready to be tested, and they kind of need him all of a sudden. I thought even before Garrett Cooper got injured that you can make the case that Jesus was called up. Again, that's all mentioned on the previous pod, especially now with, with Garrett Cooper. I mean, the fit seems so obvious to me. You call up Jesus Sanchez. He's your main right fielder. You platoon Adam Duvall and Corey Dickerson in left. Uh, I guess occasionally you could put Duvall in center if Starling ever needs a day off, but that never seems to be the case. Um, If Jesus, if there are any struggles, if there are any super imposing uh, left-handers that they have to face, occasionally you could play Duvall in right over Jesus, but they have close to everyday playing time available for this uh, dynamic hitter who is has nothing left to prove at AAA. I am I'm flummoxed by it. I don't understand it at all why he's still down there. This is uh, something that we've already gone to detail with, so I'm not going to bore you anymore with this conversation. It's, it's a confusing time to be following this team. Uh, some bad luck working against them, but also some, let's be honest, bad decision-making that is holding them back as well. So plenty more to come. On our fish types platforms, of course, uh, on Friday, we'll have our usual live stream previewing the Braves series. Um, we'll have our small pods today and also on Friday. We'll have a longer podcast discussion, probably about Starling Marte, a roundtable of sorts coming up early next week. And in the meantime, plenty of articles on fishstripes.com. We have our fish picks contest. Play fish picks every day for your chance to win a 305 candle well from 305 candles their cafecito candle is a prize that we're giving away every single month a $50 value that goes to the winner i'm eli sussman here on the fish stripes podcast Uh, more marlins coverage coming your way throughout this bizarre season that it's been as always go fish (laughs) 